Hi, I'm Emily Paget. This is Century 21. Thanks for tuning in to part three of the Zuckerberg Congressional Hearing, where we break down and analyze what exactly went down when the CEO of Facebook spoke to Congress in mid-April. We're going hour by hour of the recording I'm watching, which you can find on the Global News YouTube channel. In this episode, I skipped over several questions as many of them were repeats and didn't warrant elaboration because I didn't think that they really provided us with any new information. But if you want to check them out, feel free to watch the recording on YouTube. But yeah, because I skipped several questions, this episode covers the next two hours of the hearing instead of just one. So here's what we learned in the previous hour of the hearing. Facebook is not aware of hate groups scraping data in a way similar to Alexander Kogan and Cambridge Analytica. It's believed that Russia-linked individuals utilized Facebook to spread fake news and purchase divisive advertisements on the platform during the 2016 presidential election. Facebook has created AI tools to take down similar fake accounts and have found success with them in other elections since 2016. Facebook is expanding privacy adjustments to its terms of service under the General Data Protection Regulation to the United States and the rest of the world. There have been several lawsuits against Facebook in the past 10 years and issues of privacy protection. Zuckerberg contests that there's no directive in any algorithmic changes to develop a bias against certain ideas. Facebook has been subjected to a 20-year consent decree with the FTC, which resulted in Facebook's requirement to have user consent before sharing their data, to establish a comprehensive privacy program, and have a third party conduct audits of the program every two years for the next 20. And lastly, last time we learned that there are tens of thousands to millions of third-party apps that Facebook needs to investigate to look for data scraping, which will take many months. The hearing resumes after everyone takes a five-minute break. When the recess is over, Representative Kathy Castor has some questions regarding how Facebook tracks people online. I'm going to include a pretty large chunk of the actual conversation because I think their exchange is pretty interesting. She starts off by stating that Facebook does have the ability to collect the personal information of users after they log off the platform, and that of people who don't have Facebook accounts. So isn't that right? Uh, Congresswoman, I, I'm not sure. That, I don't think that that's what we're tracking. No, you're collecting. Uh, you have already acknowledged that you are doing that for security purposes and commercial purposes. So you are you're collecting data outside of Facebook. When someone goes to a website and it has the Facebook uh, like or share, that data is being collected by Facebook, correct? Uh, Congresswoman. Yes, sir. No. That's right. That we that we understand in order to. Uh, show which of your friends. Yeah, so for people that like don't even page. have Facebook, I don't think that the average American really understands that today, something that fundamental. And that you're tracking everyone's online activities, uh, their searches. You can track what people buy, correct? Uh, Congressman, uh, Congresswoman. Uh, you're collecting I, that data, what people purchase uh, online. I, yes I, I no? actually, if they share it with us, but Congresswoman, because it has overall, a share I, I, button, so it's 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 gathering. Facebook has the application. In fact, you patented applications to do just that. Isn't that correct? I'm going to jump in real quick to refresh you on the Facebook button situation. 
They're talking about the like and share and similar buttons on non-Facebook websites that allow you to interact with the content on that website by using the Facebook platform in some way. Facebook then collects the data and stores it so it can generate advertising based on information that you viewed to make the ads more targeted to you. For example, I was looking online the other day at some furniture, and later that night when I was playing Words with Friends on my phone, a game that's connected to Facebook, I got an ad from Kohl's for tables and chairs. True story. I'm sure you've got similar ones. I don't think any of those buttons share transaction data, but broadly, but I, they, I they track you. The you want you're collecting medical data, correct? On on people that that are on the internet, whether they're Facebook users or not, right? Congresswoman, yes, we collect some data for. And you're collecting. And uh, you watch where we go. Facebook also gathers that data about where we travel. Isn't that correct? Congresswoman, everyone has control over how that works. I'm going to get to that, but yes, you are. Would you just acknowledge that, yes, Facebook is, that's the business you're in, gathering data and aggregating that data? Congresswoman, right? I disagree with that characterization. You are not, are you saying you do not gather data on, on where people travel based upon their internet and the, the ways they sign in and things like that? Congresswoman, the primary way that Facebook works is that people choose to share data. And they share primary way, but, but the other way that Facebook uh, gathers data is you buy data from data brokers outside of the platform, correct? Congresswoman, we just announced two weeks ago uh, that we were going to stop interacting with data brokers. And even though that's an industry norm to make it so that the advertising can be more relevant. But I think in the end, I think what, see, it's, it's practically impossible these days to remain untracked in America for all the benefits Facebook has brought and, and the internet. And that's not part of the bargain. Uh, and current laws have not evolved and the Congress has not adopted uh, laws to, ad to address digital surveillance and Congress should act. And I do not believe that the controls, the opaque agreement, uh, consent agreements, the settings are an adequate substitute for fundamental privacy protections for consumers. Now, Generally's time. Thank you. I yield back my time. Zuckerberg's main argument for the tracking of data for the purposes of targeted advertising is that it's convenient. I think he said something like people want to see ads that are more oriented to them if they have to see ads at all. Representative Brett Guthrie had a story similar to mine that I just shared. He was looking online for a town to visit in Florida with his family, and then he started getting ads for a kind of hotel that he would normally stay in that was well-priced, something that he would want to go to. So it was convenient. He likened it to having to watch the ads during TV timeouts during basketball games. They're irritating, but because he gets to watch the game effectively for free, he's willing to sit through them. So these ads are like those during the basketball game, but even better because they're actually helpful, Representative Guthrie argues. Zuckerberg confirms that Facebook aren't the only ones who do this sort of targeted advertising. This model is common in that industry. But you're different in that instead of getting just a bro the when I'm watching the, the Hilltoppers on basketball, the person advertising me doesn't know anything about me. I'm just watching the ad. So there's no data, no agreement or no uh, risk, I guess, there. But with you, there there is consumer driven data. But if we were to greatly reduce or stop or just greatly reduce through legislation, the use of consumer driven data for targeting ads, what do you think that would do to the Internet? Just and when I say Internet, I mean everything, not just Facebook. Well, Congressman, it would make the ads less relevant. So, so if we had less revenue, what would that do to and, them? Yeah, it, it would reduce, it, it would have a number of effects. For people using the services, it would make the ads less relevant to them. 
for businesses like the small businesses that use advertising, it would make advertising more expensive because now they would have to reach, they would have to pay more to reach more people inefficiently um, because targeting helps small businesses be able to um, afford and, and reach and reach people as effectively as big companies have typically had the ability to do for a long time. Representative Guthrie then asks, what would happen if someone wanted to delete their Facebook account? Would Facebook still have their personal data? Does another company have it? What happens to it? Zuckerberg responds that once you delete your account, it's no longer available and nobody can find you on the Facebook platform. Quote, we wouldn't be able to recreate your account from that, end quote. We do have data centers and systems that are redundant and we have backups in case something bad happens. And over a number of days, uh, we'll, we'll go through and, and make sure that we flush all the content out of the system. But as soon as you delete your account, uh, effectively that content is um, is dismantled and we wouldn't be able to put your account back together if we wanted. Gentlemen's time. Well, thank you, my time is well. I appreciate it. You might ask, like a few other of the representatives at the hearing have, what if you don't have a Facebook page? Facebook can track and store the data of non-Facebook users too. So can they, the non-Facebook users, access and download their data or opt to have Facebook delete it? It sounds a bit like a cycle to me. You're a Facebook user, you delete your data, you browse the internet without a Facebook page, and Facebook stores your data anyway. I'm not sure how to break this cycle, and I'm not sure if anyone else is either. Representative Pete Olson brought up something that I only just recently learned about, Facebook's social experiment in 2012, or the mood manipulation experiment. In 2012, Facebook chose 689,003 of its users to have their Facebook feeds adjusted. On some users' feeds, the positive posts, content with mostly happy, positive words and images. These posts of the user's friends were reduced, and on other users' feeds, the more negative, downer posts were reduced. After one week, the users who saw more positive content were more likely to post positive content, and the users who saw more negative content were more likely to post negative content. There have been several other studies that have used Facebook data to observe and examine so-called emotional cognition. But in this experiment, the data was directly manipulated in order to have some effect on the users in question, in short, to affect their behavior. Representative Olson wants to talk about that. Perceive that this is disconnecting people. In stark contrast, your mission to connect people. Explain to us how you guys thought this idea was a good idea. Expand with people, give them more negative information, positive information. Well, Congressman, I view our responsibility as not just building services that people like to use, but making sure that those services are also good for people and good for society overall. At the time, there were a number of questions about whether people seeing content that was either positive or negative on social networks was affecting their mood. And we felt like we had a responsibility to understand uh, whether that was the case, because we don't want to have that effect, right? We, we don't want to have it so that we, we want use of social media and our products to be good for people's well-being. Um, and we continually make changes to, to that effect, um, including just recently this year, we did a number of research uh, projects that showed that when social media is used for building relationships, and so when you're interacting with people, um, it's associated with a lot of positive effects of, of well-being that you'd expect. It, it makes you feel more connected, less lonely. It correlates with long-term measures of happiness and health. Uh, whereas if you're using social media or the internet just to passively consume content, 
then that doesn't have those same positive effects or can even be negative. So we've tried to shift the product more towards helping people um, interact with friends and family as a result of that. So that's the kind of an example of the kind of work that we that we do. To sum that up, Zuckerberg is arguing that Facebook did this study to ensure that the platform is not negatively affecting people's health or well-being. He did mention that Facebook did research on people's well-being when interacting with people on the platform instead of just reading news and looking at memes, finding that people tended to be happier when interacting with people online. But he didn't have anything more to say on the mood experiment Representative Olson brought up. What people were initially angry about when the 2012 study was released was that participants in the study weren't exactly willing. They hadn't been contacted about it or known that it was happening. In fact, if you were a participant, you today wouldn't know about it unless you can remember a week in early 2012 when you saw exclusively happy or negative posts on Facebook. But in Facebook's data use policy, it reads that user data can be used quote, for internal operations, including troubleshooting, data analysis, testing, research, and service improvement, end quote. So in checking the I agree to terms and conditions box when you signed up, you consented to all of these, quote, research projects, as Zuckerberg called them, just like you consented to targeted advertising. Actually, on the targeted advertising note, I'd like to make a clarification. I think in the last episode, it was unclear how Facebook keeps non-public user data, so all information that isn't public-facing, like name, face, birthday, etc., how Facebook keeps this data private from third parties, yet still shares it with advertisers. Later in the hearing, Zuckerberg specifies how exactly Facebook does this and stays within its own privacy policy. Let's say you have a business that is selling skis, okay, and you have on your profile that you are interested in skiing, but let's say you haven't made that public, but you share it with your, with your friends, or right. so broadly. We don't tell the advertiser that here's a list of people who like skis. They just say, okay, we're trying to sell skis. Can you reach people who like skis? And then we match that up on our side without sharing any of that information. Understood. They don't sh- you don't share that, but they get access to that information so that if they know that they want to market skis to me because I like skis. The representative who had asked about this, Representative Kennedy, asks if advertisers are able to utilize deleted data in this way. And the answer to that is no. The next question concerns the opioid crisis and Facebook's involvement in it. In late 2017, Mark Zuckerberg stated that he was surprised at the scale of the drug problem in his travels throughout the United States during that year. Facebook, of course, isn't selling drugs from a corporate level, but there are all sorts of Facebook pages and vendors themselves selling drugs that would require a prescription under normal circumstances. Like with the banning of the political pages, like the politically conservative page Diamond and Silk, Zuckerberg says that this oversight of allowing illegal pharmacies and vendors on Facebook is just that, an oversight, and that they're working on bettering Facebook's review and regulation. From Representative David McKinley. So my question to you as we close on this, uh, you said before you were going to take down those ads, but you didn't do it. We've got statement after statement about things. You're going to take those down within days, and they haven't gone down. So my question to you is, when are you going to stop to take down these posts that are done Ill on Ill with illegal digital pharmacies? When are you going to take them down? Congressman, I agree that this is a terrible issue. And respectfully, when there are tens of billions or 100 billion pieces of content that are shared every day, even 20,000 people reviewing it can't look at everything. What we need to do is build more AI tools that can proactively you've find that content. Before you were take it- Representative Gus Billyrakis elaborates on this issue later in the hearing. He asks when Facebook will take down the advertisements for illegal pharmacies. 
Zuckerberg responds that the ads will be taken down as soon as possible, granted that Facebook users flag the ads so that they can see there's a problem. But Zuckerberg upholds that the main thing that needs to happen is not simply reviewing content that gets flagged, but to create tools and systems that can identify these ads and similar content for illegal substances before people can see them, before they even have to be flagged. Sounds legit to me. Zuckerberg defines fake news as having three categories. The first one is spammers, trolls, people who don't necessarily have a goal of the philosophical or ideological sort. These people want to create the most sensational thing they can so people will click on it and they can make money on ads. Zuckerberg says that Facebook fights these spammers by preventing them from running advertisements so they can't make money. They lose the incentive so they stop. The second category is state actors, like the ones connected with Russia that we talked about in the previous episode, the ones creating fake Facebook accounts. Facebook fights these with AI systems, and as we spoke about previously, it's looking like the AI is working. The last fake news category is just straight up misinformation that everyone takes for granted as correct, accurate news or information. Representative H. Morgan Griffith brought up a suggestion for this third one, that the online media industry come together and create a system to determine whether or not certain news sources are reputable. In short, to ensure that there's a set of guidelines across the industry for detecting and shutting down fake news. Zuckerberg responds that Facebook is working with several third parties on this, all of which are accredited by the Pointer Institute of Journalism, which is a top school that focuses on fact-checking and ethics in the sphere of journalism and technology. The next question comes from Representative Yvette Clark, who brings up another concern that the Russian political ads brought up during the 2016 presidential election. Those ads specifically characterized and weaponized African-American groups like Black Lives Matter, in which ads suggested through uh, propaganda or fake news, as people call it these days, that they were a rising threat. Do you think that the lack of diversity, um, culturally competent personnel in your C-suite and throughout your organization in which your company did not detect uh, or uh, disrupt and investigate these claims uh, uh, are, are a problem in, in this regard. Congresswoman, I agree that we need to work on diversity. In this specific case, I don't think that that was the issue because we were frankly slow to identifying the whole Russian misinformation operation and not just that specific example. Going forward, we're going to address this by verifying the identity of every single advertiser who's running political or issue-oriented ads to make it so that um, foreign actors or people trying to spoof their identity or say that they're someone that they're not um, cannot uh, run political ads or run large pages of the type. So were they, whether they were Russian or not, when you have uh, propaganda, how are you addressing that? Because this was extremely harmful uh, during the last election cycle and, con and can continue to be so in the, uh, in the upcoming elections and, and throughout the year, right? Um, I'm concerned that they're not eyes that are culturally competent looking at these things and being able to see uh, how this would impact on civil society. If everyone within the organization is monolithic, then you can miss these things very easily. And we've talked about diversity uh, forever with your organization. What can you say today when you look at how all of this operates that you can do immediately 
to make sure that we have the types of viewing or reviewing that could enable us to catch this in its tracks. Congresswoman, we announced a change in how we're going to uh, review ads and, and big pages so that now, going forward, we're going to verify the identity and location of every uh, advertiser who's running political or issue ads or uh, and the, the identity. Good. We, we'd like you to get back to us with a timeline on that. Oh, that, that will be in place for these elections. Representative Clark's last question asks about the difference between Alexander Kogan's selling of the Facebook-based data he'd acquired via an app he'd made to Cambridge Analytica and the Obama campaign's collection of Facebook user data through their own app during the 2012 presidential election. Zuckerberg responds that Kogan's selling of the data to the third party did violate Facebook's policies at the time while the Obama campaign's collection of user data did not. He didn't really get time to elaborate on this, but I think that it's because the Obama campaign used the data for their own purposes and did not sell it to a third party, while Kogan definitely did do that. You might have heard that Facebook can listen in on what you're talking about if you have the Facebook app downloaded to your phone, on what you're literally actually talking about to a friend, even if you're not using your phone, if you have the Facebook app downloaded. This is unconfirmed with Facebook itself, but Representative Larry Buckshin brought up a personal anecdote that is maybe taken out of context, but still interesting and disturbing. There are plenty of anecdotal examples, including from family members of mine, where people will be verbally discussing items never having actually been on the internet at the time. And then uh, the next time they get on Facebook or other online apps, ads for things that they were verbally discussing with each other will show up. Um, and I know you said in the Senate that Facebook doesn't listen, specifically listen to what people are saying through their, through their phone, whether that's a Google phone or whether it's Apple or another one. However, the other day, my mother-in-law and I were discussing her, her brother who had been deceased for about 10 years. And later on that evening on, on her Facebook site, she had a, she had set to music kind of a in memoriam picture collage that came up on Facebook specifically to her brother and that happened the other night so if you don't you're not listening to us on the phone um, who is and do you have specific contracts with with these companies that will provide data that you is being acquired verbally through our through our phones or now through things like Alexa or other other products Congressman, we're not collecting any information verbally on the microphone, and we don't have contracts with anyone else who is. The only time that we might use the microphone is when you're recording a video or doing something where you intentionally are trying to record audio, but we don't have anything that is trying to uh, listen to what's going on in the background. Buckshin brings up the fact that other companies have made products like Alexa or Google Home, so-called smart speakers, that have to listen for when you call them to give the speaker a command or ask it a question. Same for iPhones with the Hey Siri function. He shares this concern with a lot of people, myself included, that these devices actually are listening in on what we're saying. Facebook may not be listening, but I still deleted their app from my phone just in case.
Here's what we've learned today. Facebook is ending its interaction with data brokers, meaning that it will no longer be purchasing information from third parties, instead relying entirely on its own information it's collected. Facebook cannot access user data after someone has deleted their account, which means that advertisers can't use that information for their purposes. The 2012 mood manipulation experiment adjusted the content of users' Facebook feeds to see how the adjustments would affect their behavior patterns and their interactions on the site. Facebook is working on a process for better reviewing and regulating the ads and content on its platform, such as advertisements and content relating to illicit drug sale or use. Also, don't do drugs, kids. Zuckerberg has three categories of fake news, spammers, state actors, and straight-up misinformation. And Facebook upholds that it cannot listen to what you're saying via use of your phone's microphone. But people have still noticed some shady, very coincidental ads. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we just made it through two hours of the hearing, which leaves us with one left for the final installment of this Zuckerberg series. If you want to share your thoughts with me, I'd love to hear them. You can tweet me at emmypadge, shoot me an email at submit.2.21, the number, at gmail.com, or go to the website and hit submit. As of right now, when I'm recording this, Century 21 is available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Overcast. So go ahead and leave a review if you have a few minutes on any of these providers. It really helps spread the word about the show, and I'd love for other people to listen. This podcast is a product of Advanced Topics in Storytelling, taught by Dr. Bob King at University of North Carolina School of the Arts. This episode was written and narrated by me, and I also produced it. Music is by Matt Carlson. You can find him on Instagram at mattcarlsings. Also, check out his other project at wilddomesticmusic.com. If you have suggestions for episode topics, go to the new and improved century21.blogspot.com. That's spelled out C-N-T-R-Y number two, number one, dot blogspot.com, and go to submit. Thanks for listening.